today as we work through. We had a great time last week talking about the joys of everything we have in Christ and, uh, and now out of that comes a command. But firstly I'm going to pray. Father, we want to give you thanks for your goodness, your faithfulness to us. I want to thank you for your forgiveness, for your eternal life. We want to thank you for the blessing it is to be able to fellowship with you, fellowship with your son, to enjoy the fellowship we have with each other by your Holy Spirit. Thank you just for loving us and being there for us. And I pray now that your spirit would uh, be upon our hearts and that uh, you would make sense of this message today to us, that we might uh, be able to understand uh, the world and uh, Father to not love it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So reading from 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 to 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the Father's will lives. Uh, sorry, the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now, last week we saw this. We saw that the resources that a Christian needs are available to them already, to us. We have everything we need in Christ. And having said that, he returns to the commands. And that is what we must not love. We must not love the world. But understanding this, because we had last week, and we know that all of the resources we need to obey God's commands, let me just tell you this. It's good to have a command that you know it's possible to obey isn't it? Before you start. Yeah? In other words, the standard isn't too high because of what he's done and what he's made us. Okay? Our sins have been forgiven. That's what we heard last week. We heard that we have the strength and the power to overcome evil, both the evil from the outside of ourselves, the devil, uh, and evil inside of ourselves, our flesh. Those things will not prevail and we know God the Father, and we have fellowship with Him through Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying is these things are the powerhouse for our lives. They are what brings the surety that we will, as the last bit of that verse says, the man who does the will of God live forever. Right? We can have surety that that's us. I am woman, by the way. Yeah. So, in, uh, I, we often, or I often quote 1 Thessalonians 5.24 which says, The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Now in context, 1 Thessalonians 5 is a whole list of commands about how you should live as a Christian. And it says, here are all these commands... Faithful is the one who calls you because he will do it. In other words, you are not alone 
and unable to obey the commands of God. He's with you and he will drive you to obey the commands that he gives to you. And he gives you the desire to obey. Now, two weeks ago we had the command to love one another. The positive. Now is the negative. In other words, before we know what to love one another, particularly within the fellowship, but in the world. And today, what don't we love? We don't love the world and we don't love anything in it. Okay, what does this mean, don't love the world? Does it mean that we should be separate from the world? Because a lot of people have said that, and they lived in old days, they had monasteries and uh, communes and things like that. Christians would separate themselves. Nowadays we have Christian communities, and there's, there's some in this area and some over, over towards the coast and things. And it's kind of the thought that here is a safe place we invite people into it. Okay? Separate yourself and then, without saying it, from your high position, look down at the bad people and invite them in where they can become safe with you. Okay. Now, we don't use that language, but there's a thought behind it. If we could have a safe Christian community uh, where we could lock ourselves down but you see, um, we're not told that. Um, but I'll, I'll get more about I'm about to scroll. But this is not uh, what it means to not love the world. Another way that people take this not love the world is to say, okay, this is a time to make a list of all the things that are worldly sins, understand them, and then don't do them. Okay, here's the list. Don't do them. The problem is with that, one of the problems is everybody's lists are different, aren't they? What don't you do on a Sunday? What can you do on a Sunday? Yep. What, where is the line with any particular thing that we say? In other words, what, we, what we're saying is, here's a list of rules which defines the world and the church. Don't cross that line and then you won't be worldly. Except for, as we'll find out in a while, Christianity is more about the heart than it is actually about the actions. But the other thing is, oh, well, we don't love the world, so therefore we don't get involved with the community. We don't get involved with politics, for sure, because that's completely evil. We don't even have an opinion on that, do we? Nobody here does, that's for sure. And we don't play sport, because you know what sport is. It's all bad. That's sarcasm. Okay. Um, so, uh, in other words, to separate ourselves from sinners, um, that's, that's a safe way. Okay, or one more thing which is really good is to, for Christians to make sure that we get rid of everything pleasurable and enjoyable. Okay? So, if you're a Christian, by nature you are miserable. Yeah? Also a joke. Because we actually have the greatest delight, don't we? Everything else makes sense when we have fellowship with the Father. Okay. So what is the world? When he says, do not love the world in anything, anything in it. It's, he's not talking about creation. He's not talking about, don't love the mountain ranges and definitely don't love sunsets. It's not what he's saying, is he? No, God made all those things good. And also sea turtles. Love sea turtles. That's alright. Well, don't love the animals. 
He's not actually saying don't love the world in general, life, life as we know it. Don't, you know, he's not saying don't love your families, don't love your friends, don't love your work, don't love your business. He's not saying don't have a business. He's not saying you must not have a farm. He's not even saying the world is the world is governments and authorities and powers because actually we're told in the Bible that God ordained them. He gave them authority. They're not evil of themselves, are they? Okay, the world is this. It's the organisation of life and humanity that ignores God. It doesn't recognise him or it seeks to be independent of him. It seeks to live without him and it definitely does not trust him or rely on him. You understand? It, 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 firstly, organisation means it's actually a community thought, and I'll talk, it's collective, life living without God. Life not recognising him, seeking to be totally independent. Right? And it is humanity turning their backs on God, having no thought for him, and always rebelling against him, even though they say they don't believe in him. We don't believe in him, but whatever we do, we're going to hate the one we don't believe in. Okay? Um, so, it, it is collective and it is corporate. Now, just being a, a little bit contemporary here, this collective and corporate thing, you know, we, we, in, in our day, probably more than for quite a few years, there's this talk of conspiracy. Yeah? There is conspiracy theories. Well, I'm here to say that conspiracy is true. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, the word conspire means to breathe out as one, to have one, uh, one mind together. And the Bible tells us about a great conspiracy against God. Uh, in Psalm 83, it says, O oh God, do not keep silent. Do not be quiet, O oh God. Do not, uh, be not still. See how your enemies are stirred, how your foes rear their heads. With cunning they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. In other words, there's this, the enemies are breathing as one against God and against his people. Or Psalm 2 says, um, why do the nations rage or why do the nations conspire against the Lord and against his anointed one, who's Jesus? So there is this oneness of thought of opposition to God. That's the world. Does that make sense? Regardless of, you know, for some reason, um, conspiracies is come to mean we're talking about vaccine or anti-vaccine, if vaccine is a word, um, or, or whatever else, uh, or, or politics or something like that. But understand, there is a conspiracy in this world and it's against God. And those who are in the world breathe out in unison against him. Does that make sense? Is that okay? I haven't got, that's not too controversial? No. Okay. What are the characteristics of the world? Now you can actually leave that Bible verse up if you want to. This way. Um, the characteristics of the world, in verse 16, he said, For everything in the world, and it has three things here, the cravings of sinful men, the lust of the eyes and the boasting of what he has and does. 
Now the words, the cravings of the sinful man, or the lusts of the flesh, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting, or pride of life, the pride of what he has and does. Okay, they, these are translated in different ways, but they're all good translations when you put them together too. So, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, there's a lot about lust. What is lust? Lust is kind of the, is an unrestrained going after of what you love. Unrestrained affection, un, unrestrained desire. When desire is just set rampant and all that it is, is what I desire and I will give everything for it. Lust is actually abusive because lust always thinks of, of itself above all others. In, in other words, I don't care who's hurt or destroyed, my lust causes me in unrestrained manner to go towards that which I want. Does that make sense? So lust is always abusive. It's abuse, abuse, wrong use of something or someone that's created. And, but it's an abuse of something that God has made to be right. Lust seeks to turn something God has made good into something evil. So uh, I, I'm using the natural example we think of when we think of lust. It's, it's called sexual lust. God created marriage. He, he created it to be good. But abusive lust makes all sorts of sexual immorality. So uh, sex outside of marriage and prostitution and homosexuality and pedophilia and pornography and so on. All of these take something good God has made and it causes this, this kind of insatiable lust to chase after them uh, in an unrestrained way, regardless of who it hurts. Okay. The world takes things which are good, that, like our work, our vocation, and causes people to actually lust for, for either more and more work, to bring more and more money, to bring more and more meaning or purpose or whatever else, to bring fulfilment, which is never what it was created for. Was created to enjoy under God. The world lusts for money and possessions for more and more because, uh, and there's some sort of sick understanding that might bring peace and security. But those things are only found in God. And the world lusts after power, authority, to have authority over others and to use that for selfish gain rather than godly authority, which is always for the good of those you have authority. The world takes the simple things of life, such as food and drink, and turns them into gluttony and drunkenness. You understand? Good things. Lust, abuse, takes them to be evil. The world takes what God has made and turns them into abuses. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh. If this is sounding negative, that's because this is what the Bible passage is saying today. And we're going to go through it carefully. The first thing is the lust of the flesh, which all the cravings of the sinful man, the lusts of our physical body, and that is those things I've been talking about. The lust for food and drink and sex and pleasure and power, turning what God's said gave to be enjoyed. And these things actually control us. In other words, we lose our control because um, 
that's the problem with abuse and lust is that they seem good and pleasurable and then soon they have the upper hand. As Jesus said, he said, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. In other words, if you're a slave, that means it is controlling you. You're not controlling it. Do not love the world or anything in it. Because when you turn to the way the world loves things, you end up a slave. The second part was the lust of the eyes, which is, at the second level, what we covet when we look at things. What do we cover? But it involves also so much of the outward show. What people cover is so often what they see with their eyes, the appearance. You understand? You can judge everything by appearance. So therefore, the best looking people in the world are definitely the happiest. You know that, don't you? Yeah? That's true. They have the most settled, joyful marriages and the happiest children. Is that true? You understand? Uh, and it, it's silly to say that, except for this thing in our heart, the lust of the eyes, kind of convinces us that there's something, some truth in it. Yep? If we could look better, we'd be happier. Yep? If we could look like, if I could look like Angelina Jolie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Coveting. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and Jesus said it's serious, the lust of the eyes, because it comes from a heart. And he, in fact, he, says, he said in, you know, in Matthew 5, 28, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. In, in, in other words, what the, the, there's something about the eyes. Um, don't become obsessed with what you can see of, of, of people... Because you know it's not true. You know there's an inside thing going on. And the third thing, which kind of is, uh, is the pride of life, and this is kind of sums up the other two, but it turns it inward, what's happening in the heart. The pride of life or the boasting of what he has or does, or she, we can see it too. Okay. Um, but he, uh, what the pride of life, the ambition at the expense of all others. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Yep. If you've got to tear others down, that's just what you've got to do to get to the top. The lust for power. The pride of whatever it is. I'm proud of my birth. I'm proud of my achievements. I'm proud of my social status. I'm proud of who I know. You know I know some pretty famous people. Yep. I'm proud of my knowledge, my skills, and all of this without acknowledging the one who gave us all those things. Striving for worldly honour, striving for acceptance, striving for respect, striving to make a name for ourselves. Why do we need to do that if we know who we are in Christ? So that's, that's the, the, the lust of pride, boasting in what we have done, boasting in who we are. It, it, it actually, at, at its heart, at its simplest, it simply comes from insecurity. Insecure people have to show off because they don't know who they are. What a, a peaceful thing it is to know God through Jesus Christ where we can sit and go, I'm happy with who I am. 
I'm happy with what I look like. I'm happy with what I have. I'm happy with the authority and the place I have in this world. And I don't have to have this lustful ambition, in other words, this obsessive ambition to get more. problem actually, and I, and I said before, the Bible sort of teaches us that the, the sins in the spirit are actually more important than the outward sins. What goes on in the heart first is actually the heart of the problem. And therefore when salvation comes through Jesus, what does he first change? He changes our hearts. The, 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 the heart of the problem is the heart. Jesus said, from the heart springs forth all sorts of, and he lists these evil actions. But the problem has come from what is from inside. It's not the action. He says not. He, he used a sort of a metaphor and he said, "What you eat doesn't make you dirty." It's, it's actually it's not the action that makes you dirty. It's the heart that does dirty actions. And so John says, "Everything in the world does not come from the Father." Just understand this clearly. None of those lusts come from the Father. If you, can, if you can teach this ambitious pride to be above other people as coming from God, you've missed it. Because sometimes we do, don't we? We take things of the world and we, and we put them on the God. But these lusts don't come from the Father. Christians are those who find their life in Christ. Christians find all of their living in abiding and remaining in him and him in us. So if Christ lives in you, you understand if Jesus lives in us or if the Holy Spirit lives in us, you can't actually be guilty of, of endlessly lusting after the, the flesh and the eyes and, and the pride of life. Because Christ, Jesus was never guilty of these things. He never did them, did he? In fact, he was the opposite. He was the most humble, the most lowly. And he had all authority and power, but with that authority and power, he gave up his own life for others. He suffered and died for the sins of the world. Now we say that, but understand, that's John's language when he says he suffered and died for the sins of the world. Which world is he talking about? The sinful world. The one with all its lust and, and evil and hatred to God. That's the one that Jesus died for. The ones who were shaking their fists at him opposing him, conspiring against him, raging against him, those are the ones that Jesus died for. Serious enemies, not just enemies who are, you know, called names and stuff. Serious enemies. Jesus was content to be born in humility, in a stable, to work as a carpenter. He was content to be the suffering servant for the world. He was content not to be served, but to serve. He was a friend to sinners. In other words, those people that didn't have the reputation of the world. Rather than, what do you do? You're hobbled up with the big knobs or something like that. You know, hanging out with the, with, the, with the impressive people. He was happy to hang out with the nobodies. Because he was interested in people's souls not himself, and so he fellowship with them deeply. He regarded no one from a worldly point of view. 
Now, what I'm saying is that if Christ is living in you, then we have this radical new desire as a person to not love the world and to be completely different. So, as Paul says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And if we don't think of people in the way the world thinks of them, because if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Paul also said in Galatians 3.28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. All are one. So he's saying none of these are better than the other. Do you understand? None are more important in God's eyes. We actually truly um, have equality in Christianity. Everybody before God. Yeah. Not, as a, not as a worldly program, because often the people driving that are not seeking equality. They want to be above the others. Do you understand? But this is truly in Christ. New creations. All are one. Christians have Christ living in them, so we are radically different from the world. We are content to serve and to love. We, we are happy to fellowship with sinners because we know there's not a tier system in Christianity. I, I know that. We, you know we say that all the time? There's not a tier system. Do you believe it? Do you believe there's actually not a Christian who's closer to God and better than you? If Christ has forgiven all your sins, you have the same access, same relationship with God to every other Christian in the world because we have good Christians and bad Christians, do we? There's only Christians. Yeah? Christians have a different worldview, and it's not based on the world. We are more interested in rebirth than we are birth. We're more interested in treasures in heaven than treasures on earth. We desire a knowledge of God, not a knowledge that creates pride. And we're happy if the fellowship of the church is with the weak, with the unpresentable, the lowly. We're not embarrassed to associate with those despised by the world. We don't crave the honour and the respect and the acceptance and the adoration of the world, but our honour is to be known and accepted and loved by God. You're accepted by God, that's enough, isn't it? And we don't seek to create heaven on earth now because we know our inheritance, the new creation, the new Jerusalem, the presence of God the Father with his people. So what I'm saying is the Christian is opposite to the world. He doesn't love the world. She doesn't love the world. The Christian does not love the world. Paul said in Galatians 6.14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Hear what he's saying there? I'm only going to boast in the weakness of God, I'm going to boast in what Jesus has done for me, because at that point, I was crucified to the world. In other words, this world, with all its pleasures and lusts and cravings, that died that day. And I to the world. In other words, it died to me and I died to it. It's, there was a huge cutoff that happens when we come to know Jesus Christ. And then the Spirit works in us and He changes us. And we live as a new people who love one another and don't love the world. 
John finishes that passage, and I, I felt like starting there because I wanted to start with a good bit, but we'll finish with a good bit. Huh? It says, The world and its desires pass away. That's good news. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. All those lusts and those abuses and those worldliness, they will finish. They will die. They are dying. They are disappearing. They are vanishing. And already for us, we've been crucified to As much, and, and, and we know this to be true, as much as I can be proud of my body, uh, it will sag and the appearance will wrinkle. <laughs> Wealth and riches and knowledge, well, even knowledge falls away. I'm finding it hard to remember stuff nowadays. Wealth, social status, the lust for pleasures, worldly power, like the morning dew, they disappear. You know, just as soon as the sun hits them, they dry up. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. And Christians are those who do God's will. In other words, they are concerned about His will, not our own desires. And these cause us to live forever. That is, have eternal life. These things, the desires for God's will, will last forever. They are gold. They're building with gold. Those works that we do will follow us into heaven. They have eternal meaning and value. Do you understand this? The Christian life, the things that we do, have eternal value. Now. That's pretty cool, isn't it? The worldly stuff, like the Jew, it's disappearing. Love is of eternal value. And they're glorious on earth now, and they'll lead to a glory, a greater glory, in eternity. To the glory in Jesus Christ. Forever. Let me pray. Father, as we talk about the world, we, we're conscious of, of just how much we get sucked into it how much it feels at times like those weeds are growing up to try and choke us out. So we want to give you thanks that you have done something for us. You have crucified us to the world and the world no longer has that choking power over us. And we thank you that by your spirit, when we hear these warnings, we can obey these warnings. You've given us the resources to actually veer away from the world and to stand firm, to stand in you, and to be assured of all we have through you. I pray that you'd remind us of this this morning, and Father, that you would help us to again uh, let go of the sin that so easily entangles us, and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a song before communion.